skin, oh, this is getting exciting these days, isn't it? Okay, so I'm going to uh, continue talking the, the stuff that I started last week about how we develop faith that outlasts any situation, that comes out the other side of any situation. And, uh, and I promised you this week that I was going to talk about how you walk on water. Yeah? Um, so you can kind of guess where we're going with this. We're going to Matthew chapter 14. I'm not going to jump around all over the place. Uh, we're just going to look at that one passage, but I'm not going to get there for a little while. I'm going to look at a couple of other things first, and then I'm going to get you to that passage. You don't need to look up at the other things because they'll, they'll come up on the screen. Here's, here's some... Okay, I'm going to go off script already. <laughs> let, me, let me challenge you, because you've heard all those testimonies, yeah? One of the things that, that Shovel and I really were challenged with quite a number of years ago now is we were struggling to get breakthrough in some areas. Everything seemed really difficult. We were, like, all sorts of stuff was kicking off all around us. And, and Cheryl and I got in the car after church one Sunday. I can't remember how long ago it was. And Cheryl went, why does it have to be so hard? And God, right there and then, just dropped in my spirit and I said, and this is what he said. It said, it's not too hard. It's actually too simple. And the trouble is, we all want to contribute. We all want to feel like we've done it. And actually, he does it. And, and we get ourselves in problems because we try and analyze all the ways we can get something to work. And we can't get anything to work because he's done it. You see... I don't think we, we read the Bible and the Word of God on, and take it at face value. Sometimes we, we can overanalyze it. There's a whole lot of things, guys, that we need to unlearn. We're way overqualified. And, uh, you know, for instance, one of the things I, I said at the conference, I'm going to challenge you with it as well, is in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says this. You... That's you, have been given everything you need for life and godliness. You can't skim over that and just leave it there. Because that's true. And that means you have already been given everything that you need for life. That's Zoe life, life in all its fullness and godliness. To walk right with God. You've already been given it. Therefore, there's nothing you can do to get it. You've got to start using it. But we, we, we kind of overcomplicate it. And, and the gospel is simple. You know, just think about that verse again. You have been given. What's that? What tense is that? Past tense. You've been given... Already, you've already been given, it's already happened, you, you know, everything you need for life and godliness. So what's your problem? Well, I've got this problem and that problem and this is a mess and it's all this and it's that. You have already been given everything you need for life and godliness. 
We, we need to start accessing and believing what God says instead of trying to sort it out in a kind of religious way that involves us getting something. We need to start taking what is ours and not leaving it on the table. And it's a simple faith. You see, part of the reason that the gospel is what the gospel is, is it's, it's good news. In fact, the, the word gospel is in, in Greek is eugelion, which means almost too good to be true news. It doesn't just mean good, it means almost too good to be true. But it is true. Now, because gospel means good news, that means it doesn't contain any bad news. The gospel is all good news. And the reason it's good news is you can't mess it up. Because it doesn't depend on you. You didn't do anything 2,000 years ago at the cross, so you can't do anything now other than believe what was done. So the gospel being good news and why there's no bad news in it is that we can't mess it up. We can't change it. It's always going to be good news. It's been good news for 2,000 and a bit years and it's going to stay good news. And, and so we can't mess it up. So go, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. You don't need to look at it. You can if you want. If you want to check me out, you can. But this is what it says. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Who believes? Who believes? So it's for you. Yeah? What is it? Power. The power of God, the good news that we're to tell people about and the good news that we have and we've been given is power to change things. It's power for salvation. It's power to take you from darkness to light. It's power to give you life. It's power to set you free. It's power to heal your body. It's power to restore your relationships. It's power. Because it's good news. And that power comes because Jesus has already paid the price so you can have the results. And here's how this works. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just will live by faith. How do we live? By faith. What's faith? Trusting God, believing God, saying, if God said it, it's true. That's faith. And if God said it, it's true, that means that determines what actions I'm going to take in this situation. There's no good as doing something different to God's way because it won't work. But faith says, I'm going to take God at his word and I'm going to order my life and respond to things on the basis that it's true. Because I can rely on it. That's faith. So, but this word righteousness, that's a really interesting word, isn't it? This is, you know, you, you have to say a word like righteousness and everybody should look holy and somber. So can we have a go at that? I'm going to say righteousness and you're going to look very religious, holy and somber. Righteousness. Okay, there was no change then. Perhaps you were all very holy, religious, righteous and somber. Try that again. Righteousness. No, you're not getting it. I want you to look somber and religious. 
Okay, righteousness. Yeah, Penny's got a good righteousness face there. You see, we've got all these long words that have got 2,000 years of baggage attached to them. And that's the problem with this word righteousness. Because we think that we have to make ourselves righteous. No, that's not what he's saying. It says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Let me say that. The righteousness of God is revealed. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of God. Therefore, it's not Amelia's righteousness. It's not Bob's righteousness. It's not Brian's righteousness. It's God's righteousness. And we receive being put right with God by faith. That's what happened when you became a believer in the first place. That's how you live the rest of your life, from faith to faith, because they just live by faith. We start out like that, we carry on like that. So righteousness is being put right with God. And if you're put right with God, something amazing happens. You get transferred out of the kingdom of the world, out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the, the dominion of sin, out of the plans of the enemy, out of all the lies, out of all the muddle, and you get put in the kingdom of God. You are no longer owned by all those things. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. Why? Because you've got right standing with God. That means you can stand right in front of him and say, God, we have a problem. We have a need. I need you. I, I, I'm coming before you to receive your grace for this problem. I'm coming before you because you say I can come straight up to you because you don't remember my sins anymore and you've declared me righteous and holy because your son paid the penalty for everything I did. So I'm in boldness, like your word says, I can come boldly before the throne of grace for what I need. That's righteousness. His righteousness. You, you can do it, but he's giving you it. But in giving you it, he makes you something different. He takes you out of the power of darkness, the power of sin, the kingdom of darkness, and he puts you in the kingdom of God and he declares you a loved son and daughter of the king. Amen? Amen. 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 I'm getting excited. My voice has gone after four days, but we'll keep going. Okay, let's see where we get to on this. Now, that means something. I Forget the notes. I'll get to Matthew chapter 14 in a minute. That means something, doesn't it? It means this, that you are no longer just passing through this life. You have a different purpose. You are, there's, there's a plan for your life. You, you've now gone from drifting through this life, listening to all the garbage, to having a purpose, hearing the voice of God, and you're on a mission. You're on a mission. The believer's life is not just about drifting along till we get to heaven. Sadly, that's what a lot of people do. They just drift along till they get to heaven. But that's not us. Say, that's not me. That's not me. That's not how I want to live my life. Try that again. That's not me. That's not how I want to live my life. Yeah, you were better on religious and somber, weren't you? <laughs> you know, because we are citizens of the kingdom of God, because we've been placed in that place, we are no longer who we were. We are now carriers of the kingdom. 
And carriers of the kingdom are meant to have some victories. We're not meant to live in defeat all the time. We're meant to be having some victories. We're meant to be looking for victories. We're meant to be looking for change. We're meant to be looking for souls. We're meant to be looking for bodies healed. We're meant to be looking and putting ourselves in places where we can have the conversations. We're going to have some victories. You see, something I said um, a few months ago, you can't have a testimony without the test. But the In the test, you're looking for the victory. You don't stay in the test. You go through to victory, so you've got a testimony at the end of it. And we've heard some testimonies this morning. They've come out at the end of a test. And we all have tests. We all have ups and downs, changes in our life, problems, issues. That's life on this planet. Until Jesus comes again, that's the way it is. But as citizens of the kingdom, we're meant to be seeing some victories. We're meant to be... Uh, outlasting the problem and seeing the legacy at the end of it. You see, when we, when we come to church, when we gather together as a body of believers, and by church, I don't just mean Sunday mornings, I mean when there's ever, you know, Jesus defines church as two or three people. So even if there was just Elif, Bob and Eileen, that's church. And when we come to church, when we meet together, and when we, when we meet together on Sunday morning, we should come expecting some victories. We should come expecting some change. We should come expecting to receive something new, to receive new revelation. We should come expecting to encounter God. And you know what happens? God re- responds to expectation. He responds to expectation. What, what is expectation? Expectation is the belief that God changes things. Expectation is faith. In that sense, you come anticipating that God is going to be present and real and things are about to change. You know, when, when you walk in, in the door on a Sunday morning, I mean, I, I, I do this. I do all sorts of things on Sunday mornings before you, you see anything. I put the chairs out and then I walk around the chairs and I, I, I don't know if anybody has ever seen me do this, but I'll walk around the chairs and I do this every week and I'll walk in between them and I go, God, Father, I speak to these chairs, I speak to this place, I pray you'll fill this place with your presence and I'm praying, Lord, that not only these chairs but many more chairs are going to be filled with people on fire for you. And right now, God, I'm calling that into being. I can't see it in the natural yet, but I can see it in the heavenly. That is what you've called me to. That's what you've called this church to. That's what you've called every person in this church to. And right now, I'm taking hold of that which is not seen, and I'm declaring that it will manifest in the real. It will manifest in the physical. And this whole place will be full of people on fire for God. Because I believe that this country needs people on fire for God. And, And that's... That's kind of, that's what I pray. I pray that every week. I've prayed that every week since we were eight people at the start of Faith Life. And I'm still going because I can see that God hasn't finished yet. He's not only not finished yet with the church or me or anybody. He hasn't finished with you yet. You know, I, I say this, you know, you, you can go, well, I'm, a, I'm getting a bit old now. Well, if you're not dead, you're not done. Amen. Okay, this is why, you see, expectation produces something. I'm getting back to my notes now, you'd be pleased. Isaiah 44 verse C says, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods on dry ground. 
I'll pour my spirit upon my, thy seed and my blessing on your offspring. What's he doing? He pours his spirit on those who are thirsty. If we want more measure of the spirit manifesting in our life, if you want more of what's in you to come out of you and affect things, you're not asking for God to do that. You're asking, God, make me thirsty and hungry and expectant that you're going to move. And when you say that to God, he takes it as an open invitation to come in and get on with the business. You see, here's why you need to be able to do the business. Here's why we need to get this. Because the, the devil only responds to power. So we need to start exercising some gospel power. We need to start believing God for a few things. And, and we need to say, you know, come in with the attitude that I'm going to get something to somebody today that's going to change their life. You see, change lives don't happen just because of what happens at the front or because we have great worship or because of what I say or anybody else says. Change lives happen because of what you say to somebody at the coffee. You're all carriers of the kingdom and therefore... When we come in, we come in with this attitude, I'm going to get something to somebody today that's going to change their lives. And that, that's power because power moves the enemy. Words and talk do not. And so we need to move from words and talk to the power of the gospel. Are you getting this? Here's the problem I think that, that we've, we've experienced in the body of Christ, and you know I, I, I've seen this over and over again over the years, is the body of Christ operates carnally. That doesn't mean people aren't saved. What it means is they act like they're not saved because they don't believe that God's going to do anything. And so they get on, with doing all the things that they think need to be done to build a great church or build a great conference or build something or build a great ministry or whatever. And we've got kind of used to leaving the supernatural out of doing church and leaving the supernatural out of being the body of Christ. And because of that, we have seen too little of the supernatural. You know, testimonies like this morning should be routine and normal, not out of the ordinary. Amen. Amen. It should be routine. That's how the kingdom works. And so we, we should have these testimonies. Let me say this. If you, will, if you will hunger for God where he's taking you, you will need the supernatural. Every single one of us where God's taking you, if we step into our purpose that he has for our life, we're going to need the supernatural because we can't do it. We can't even scratch the surface of being able to do the things that God wants to do through us. You can't, you can't do it. Because whatever your plans are and whatever your abilities are, he's got bigger plans. So we're going to have to start stepping into things, that are into those bigger plans. We're going to have to start learning how to walk on water. You see, I, I remember a quote, I heard it years ago, it really challenged me, and it was from, um, Kenneth Copeland said this, one of the most dangerous places you can be is to be in a place that does not require any faith for you to stay there. One of the most dangerous places you can be as a believer 
is to be in a place that does not require any faith for you to stay there. And that really challenged me. We're not meant to be living within a comfort zone that doesn't challenge us. Why? Because we're supposed to be taking ground. We, we, the, the, the place of a believer is not to be comfortable. The place of a believer is to take light into darkness and not let that darkness change you while you're doing it. So we need to be living in the place that requires faith. Amen? Amen. You, okay, these are big things. So I know you, you kind of like need a bit of time to absorb it, and it's also hot. So I'm going to move on now. When I was looking at and I was preparing this talk, the thing that God said to me was this. He said, I want you to encourage people to use their faith. I want you to encourage people to use their faith. And right now, I know that some of you have just sat there and the thought that's gone through your head is, well, I'm not really sure I have much faith. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've got enough faith to do any of this. I, I get what Mark's saying, but kind of we'll leave that to somebody else because it's, it's not me. I've got, you don't know what's going on in my life. I don't have that sort of faith. Let me challenge you once again. You haven't read the word of God. If you, if you think you have no faith, you have not read the word of God. Full stop. He's going like, oh no, where's he going with this one? You think you've got no faith, you haven't read the word of God. So I'm challenging you on it. How do I know that? Because if you're born again, Romans 12.3 says he's given to everybody the measure of faith. So just say that right now. I've got the measure of faith. Where's that faith? It's in you. It's in your born again spirit. So I've been given the measure of faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Grace and faith is a gift of God. When you were born again, Christ came to live in you and you now live off his faith. Okay, these are big concepts and that's why I've waited to get to the question of walking on the water. Jesus walking on, uh, Peter walking on the water. Okay, because we're going to look at that and get some principles because you're going like, I didn't know I had, I had the measure of faith. What's that all about then? Well, that's what I mean by we need to read the Bible for what it says, not what we think we'd like it to say. Because the Bible is a lot more challenging when we read it for what it says. And the Bible says you've already got all the faith you need. What you need to do is learn how to use it. And that's, that's a mind shift, isn't it? Because you're going, I don't think I've got any faith. How do I get more faith? How do I get more faith? You don't get more faith. You've got all, all you're going to ever have, but you've got to be able to use it. Okay, let's go to Jesus and Matthew chapter 14. Where have we gone? Where's my Bible? Here we go. I've preached myself happy now. Matthew chapter 14, and then starting at verse 22. How many of you are familiar with this story about Jesus sending the, the disciples out on the water? He goes off to pray. They get in the middle of a storm. Jesus goes to them walking on water, and Peter gets out of the boat and walks to Jesus and sinks. How many of you know that story? Okay, that's the one we're looking at. Not the one where Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. This is the walking on water one. 
Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Doesn't that strike you as odd? It didn't used to strike me as odd until I noticed a word that's there. That Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. They weren't going anywhere. They knew there's a storm coming. Remember, some of these guys, they're, they're fishermen. They've grown up fishermen and they're going, we ain't going out there, Jesus. Have you seen, have you seen them clouds? Have you seen that rain coming? Jesus, have you not noticed the lightning and the thunder? Have you not spotted this, Jesus? He goes, you're going to the other side, guys. And he makes them get in the boat. Like, literally, what he has to do is push them in and tell them they've got no option. That's what that's saying. So Jesus, he, he, like, he's, got, he's got 12 disciples there, and he's manhandling them into this boat and saying, you are going to the other side. I'm off of mountain to pray. Go, guys. And they're going, this is crazy, crazy. Now, remember what they've just seen. They've just seen 5,000 people fed of five loaves and two fishes. That's what they've just seen. And Jesus is going, now you're going to the other side. And what's he saying? He's saying, you're going to have a go at this faith thing. And while you have a go at this faith thing, I'm going out. Because if I'm here, you're going to expect me to do it. So I'm going up my mountain. I'm going to talk to dad. Off you go, guys. And they're going, crazy, crazy, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. We're going to drown. But actually, they're not going, we're going to drown. Because we'll see in a minute that actually what they're doing is going, okay, I see everything that's going on, but he's told me to go to the other side, so I'm going to go. But I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about it. But I'm... I'm going to give my best shot. Okay, so here we go. So, I just want you to see a few things from this. First thing I want you to see is this, that you can't avoid storms in life. Because they exist. You can make your own storms sometimes. Sometimes we're just pig-headed and stupid and make our own storms. But, also, we've got an enemy who creates storms. We live in a fallen world that is full of storms and tragedies and problems. And we've got other people who don't believe in God, who create storms, who think like the enemy wants them to think, and he's working on them to create more problems. And then we have believers who don't believe very much, who also create problems because they don't know what to do when the storm comes. So they make it worse. And we've got all these people, and that means we can't avoid storms. I would love to tell you, believe in Jesus and life will be perfect. It won't till he comes again. And I'm, I, I, the reason I'm working on, on living a long time is because I want, him, I want to be there when he comes again. But in the meantime, I'm accepting that, that some things have to be gone through because you can't avoid storms in life. But here's the point that Jesus is making. He's going, yeah, guys, I see the storm. I see what you see. I see the lightning. I see the thunder. I see the waves. I see all of those things. I didn't cause any of those things. 
But right now, your destiny is the other side of that storm. And so you're going to have to go through it. You're going to have to start winning a few victories because you're now children of the king. You're now kingdom ambassadors and you need to start living like kingdom ambassadors. You need to start living like children of the king. And your destiny is the other side of the storm. So when a storm comes in your life, you don't buckle under it. You say, my destiny is the other side of that and I'm going through. And you keep going till you get to the other side. Okay? First point. Here's the second thing we can learn from this. I'll make a little side first. When you were that sort of person, I said this last week, when you're that sort of person that takes that sort of attitude, guess what's going to happen to you? People are going to laugh at you. They're going to say, they are out of their tree. They are crazy people. How can, you, how can you just do that? How can you risk your life like that? How can you risk your, your, your everything? How can, you, how can you give up that lucrative career? How can you give this up? How can you do that? How can, how can you say that, that God heals? How can you say that God sets free? How can you say God delivers? And how can you say it's yours? And they're going to laugh and they're going to put their hands behind their mouth and they're going to have a good chat about you at the coffee machine and, they, and some of them are going to stop talking to you and some of them are going to be believers. But you don't give in or respond to the laughter because Jesus ain't laughing. He's encouraging and he's saying, go for it. Go for it. You're an extraordinary, peculiar people, and the world will not understand you. Did I not tell you that they can't understand the things of the kingdom because they're foolishness to the carnal mind or to the natural mind? They can't get it. And they're going to laugh at you, and you're going to have to deal with that. That's a, that's a, that's a warning. Like, just because people are going, ah, you're crazy, you're mad, you know, it's not going to work, it's not going to do this, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. Everybody, before you see your miracle, is going to tell you it's not going to happen. The lady with the scoliosis, the first thing she said to me is, I've been prayed for over and over again. And everybody tells me this, that, that, whatever, and it's not happened, and my family says it's never going to happen, and I'm just going to struggle for the rest of my life. And I said to her, it's going to happen. Because it's going to happen. We don't give in to what the world says. We go by what the word of God says. Are we getting this? Yeah. It's kind of challenging for summer's day, isn't it? Here we go. So number three. Here comes the storm. They, they've gone out on the water. The storm that they saw coming arrives. What's that storm? Well, in their case, it's a physical storm. In our case, it could be all sorts of things. But here's what I want you to see. When the storm comes, it's going to be a pressure on your thinking. It's going to attack you and try and get you to back off or to turn back to shore. And if you do that, you'll never go through. And we need to be, we need to be believers who don't back off when the pressure comes on our thinking and we, de we, we, we start to doubt our doubts. We don't doubt God, we doubt doubts. Do you understand that? Like, here's how it works, you see. If we think carnal, we release carnal. 
If we think like everybody else thinks, we get what everybody else does. We sink. And there's a whole lot of people sinking. But we don't want to sink, do we? So we need to start thinking spiritual. We need to say, this is good news in the midst of the storm. This is good news that takes me through the storm. This is the gospel of Christ, and it's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God that takes me through and delivers me safe on the other side. And so we need to start thinking spiritual, as a spiritual man and walking by the Spirit. Taking what God says as truth and not what everybody else says is true. So Jesus, he's... Um, let me read you it because I've not read you it, have I? Jesus goes up. He sent the multitudes away. He went to... That's the 5,000 who just got fed. He... He sends the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when heaving came, he was alone there. So he goes up this mountain to pray on his own. And it's evening. And then he says, by, by, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the word for the wind, wind, waves, for the wind was against them. So the storms come. They're out in the middle of the sea. It's, it's evening. And then verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. I don't know if you've noticed, but fourth watch of the night is kind of when it's coming out to morning. So he's been there from evening till just before the dawn. And they've been struggling in the storm. He's left them out there. Why would he do that? Because somehow we have to learn that we have what it takes in us as born-again believers. And Jesus is going, you have to learn to use what you've got. And if you don't go through and get a few victories, you won't learn to use what you've got. Anybody cannot go through and have no victories. And then they never learn to use what they've got. And they sit there going, why do these amazing things never happen to me? Because we haven't used what we've got and learned to use it. Okay, you still with that? So then he goes, and it says he comes to them walking on the water, and then he says, really the weirdest thing. Do you never think Jesus is like kind of weird sometimes when you read it? He says he made to pass by. So let's just get this. He comes down off the mountain. There's waves all over the place. There's the, the disciples are there bucketing the water out of the, the boat, like in, throwing it out, going, we're going to the other side and throwing it out. Now watch what they're doing. They are going to the other side. They've not failed like the first time when they had to have Jesus in the back of the boat and come to, for him to bail them out. They're having a proper go. The disciples are growing up. This is good news. We, we can look at that and go, well, what a failure they are. They're stuck out in the storm. No, this is good news. They're growing up. They're, they're still going. They're just not getting anywhere. And Jesus is not, he, he comes walking on the way. Why? Because he's not got a boat. And he's going to the other side now as well. 
So what does he go? Oh, I'm not walking all that way. Man. I'm going across the water. Jesus goes, well, and it says he made to pass by. Well, why? Because they were doing fine. They, were, they, were, they weren't getting anywhere, but at least they were trying, and at least they're grown up. And Jesus, he's, he's thinking to himself, unless they cry out to me, I'm going to leave them to it because they, they, they'll get there. Now, what happens is they cry out to him. Why? Jesus is back on the scene. They go, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. See, Jesus isn't about getting us to fail. He's about raising us up to get us to succeed. And to succeed, we need to try a few things. And we need to soldier through a few things. So what happens then? The words are up there. I'm not going to read them to you. Peter says to him, Jesus, command me to come to you. I love Peter, don't you? He's obviously completely mad, isn't he? He's like, two minutes ago, they were bailing water out of a boat, in, trying to get to the other side, going, Jesus is going to walk past. They shout out to Jesus, and Peter wants to get out on the waves. Why? Because he's got it. Just for that moment of lucidity, he's got it. I can do what Jesus can do, because he said I can. If he can walk on water, I can walk on water. I've been trying to walk on water. We, used to, we, we, we had a swimming pool till a few years ago. It was one of them out-of-ground ones. I used to stand. And I'm still going to work on it, but I used to stand on the steps. And I used to go, right, I'm going to walk on water. And I used to go. <laughs> and I get out and then have another. Now, I haven't managed it yet. So this is still purely allegorical. It's still a parable. But, you know, sometimes you have to do some silly things to have a go to see some amazing things. So Jesus Peter says, come, you know, command me and I'll, walk, I'll come to you. So Jesus commands him. Why does Peter have to do that? Let me show you a bit of theology, okay? We should be good at theology now, now we've done Romans and Hebrews and all the rest of it. Who says, put your hand up if you're good at theology now. Same, yeah. Okay. You are, you, you've got this, you're getting this. We are starting to see the most amazing things through all sorts of different people in this congregation. You're getting this. And so I just want to encourage you to keep getting it. You, you've, you've learned a lot in the last 18 months. Like the growth in people in, in, this, in this congregation and people who were enjoying themselves on holiday, and we don't care about them, but people who were, who were enjoying themselves on holiday even, even they're getting it because we're stepping out. And we're seeing some stuff. And we're getting some things to some people. And that's good, isn't it? So here's what happens. This is, your, this is a bit of theology so you can fit it all together. Why did Jesus have to command Peter? Why didn't Peter just get out of the boat and walk to Jesus? Because it's all covenant. He's not born again yet. He doesn't have the spirit of God in him. He doesn't have the spirit of Christ in him. But Christ does. And Peter says, if you command it, I can come. Are you getting it? It's like when Jesus, he sends the disciples out and he, say, and he commands them, 
heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, raise the dead. And they go, why? Not on what they've got, but what on he's commanded. You see, they're still subject to the curse. They're still subject to the bad stuff because Jesus hasn't died yet and paid for it. They can't do this from from the spirit of Christ living in them because they're not born again. So they need to be commanded and do it on Jesus' faith. Jesus' command. So Peter gets out of the boat. There's your theology for this morning. We go, oh, that grace thing is quite powerful, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Jesus, he gets out of the boat. And what's he doing? Like, this is my bionic man. Do you remember the $6 million man? There goes Peter across the waves. I don't know how that works, do you? Like, slowing everything down to make it look fast. I just don't get that. But here he goes. Jesus. And he's off. And there's waves crashing all around him. And the disciples are going, crazy guy, look at him. And he's off. And he's off to Jesus. And the disciple, the closer he gets to Jesus, the other disciples go, wish we'd had a go. Wish we'd had a go. And he's off. And then what does he do? He looks at the waves. Let me ask you this. I've discovered this. Can you walk on water even when there's no waves? No, you can't, can you, just at the moment? (laughs) You know, step out on water, the natural thing that happens is you sink. What has waves got to do with whether you can walk on water or not? Nothing, because you can't do it when there's no waves, and you can't do it when there is waves. Peter, just exercising his faith, trust Jesus, and then he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he looks at the waves, and he starts to sink. We're meant to live with our eyes on Jesus. Looking to him for everything. Not on us. I think this is amazing because when I've tried this with our swimming pool a few years ago, I don't start to sink. I just sink. <laughs> Peter starts to sink. I'm thinking, like, what does it look to start to sink? <laughs> In fact, he's, he's, he's starting to sink. He's like, water's coming up to him. He's looking at the waves. And Jesus comes to him across the water. So it takes a bit of time and grabs him by the hand. Before he drowns. I just, I'd just like to have a go where I start to sink. This is a problem. When we take our eyes off Jesus and start relying on ourselves and looking at what is going on around us, we start to sink in life. The way we keep going in life and come out the other side of the storm is to keep our eyes on Jesus. You're getting this. So what happens? Jesus, um, get in in the boat. And Jesus says this. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And we've all gone, yeah, why did he doubt? Could have made it. Isn't that just arrogant and religious of us? 
I'm looking at that and I'm going like, man, this guy walked on water. What's that little faith thing? What's that little faith thing? He's got like huge faith. I've never managed to walk on water all the time I've tried it. He's got massive faith. Jesus, been unfair, isn't he? But we love it, don't we? We love it like, ah, Jesus, giving them disciples a good telling off. Well, you try walking on water and see if he tells you off too. Here's the thing. I want you to listen really carefully to this. Your picture of God, your picture of Jesus, determines how you read scripture. So we have been conditioned to a harsh God who is looking for us to fail and tells us off when we do. That's why we read this as Jesus telling Peter off. Because we're conditioned by a wrong picture of God. And the picture we have of Jesus, the picture we have of God, is the way we read scripture. Remember why Jesus sent them out in the first place? To show them that they could actually do it without him having to bail them out. And he gets this astonishing result. Not only are they going to the other side, but Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples how to win a few things. Here's a different picture of Jesus. Who wants to be Peter? Stephen, can you come and be Peter? Peter is he's drenched. Like he's, he's sunk down to that. Dry from there upwards, down there, drenched. Jesus gets him to the boat. Jesus doesn't turn to him and go, you miserable failure, you. What were you doing? This is what he does. Peter, what happened? You were doing really well. What happened? What went, what went wrong? What can we learn from this? What happened to your faith? What went wrong? He's trying to teach him a lesson, can you see? But he's doing it because he loves him. It's your picture of Jesus that determines what's going on. Thank you. You got that? Dave likes that one. Give me a clap, Dave. Yeah. See, we get hung up on this little faith thing. Because we go, well, he's got little faith, and other people have got big faith, and middle faith, and all that sort of stuff. So haven't some people got lots of faith, and some people have got no faith? No, we all have the measure of faith. So what's he saying? Why is this little faith? How can walking on, a water, on the water be little faith? Let me, let me read you a passage really quickly. Lost my, lost my thing, and I'll show you. And I'm going to finish with this. Luke 17, it's not on there. I've just thought about this. I need to look at this. Because this, this is another one of those passages that unless you know, unless you think it join everything up, it looks weird. Luke 17, 5 to 10. Um, 
the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So Jesus said to him, if you've got faith as big as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up the roots and be planted in the sea, and it's going to obey you. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him, when he is coming from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my support, my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterwards you'll eat and drink? Does he think that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him, do, sorry, does he thank that servant because he did the things that commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. And we read that and we go, well, that's a bit odd, isn't it? That's a bit unfair. Like, he's, he's slaved away all day, and he's come in, wanting to have a rest, and the master's told him he's got to get on and finish the job. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Because this only works if you understand grace and faith. <laughs> Otherwise, it looks weird. This is what Jesus is saying. The size of your faith is not the problem. You're looking in the wrong place. Because everybody has faith the size of a mustard seed. Everybody can believe something for a second. Everybody's got tiny little faith. And that's all you need, Jesus is saying. He said, even, if you have, even that amount of faith can move a tree and dump it in the ocean. Faith is not your problem. Remember I asked you at the start, like, do you think you haven't got a lot of faith? You've got all you need. Faith is not the problem. Faith wasn't Peter's problem. When Jesus says little faith, he's not talking about size. What was the problem with those servants? They stopped before the job was done. What was the problem with Peter that Jesus is trying to show him, saying, what went wrong? He stopped before the job was finished. He stopped before he got to Jesus. He started looking at other things. The problem isn't little faith. The problem isn't that we need more faith. The problem is we've got to keep it out there. We've got to keep it out there till the job is done and not dig it up and not start sinking. We've got to go through some things to see the victories. And to go through some things, we're going to have to keep our faith out there. It's got to stay long. When things, it's got to stay strong when things go long. Well, I like that one. It's got to stay strong when things go long. We've got to keep our faith out there, out in the field, out doing the work. Until we see the end product. Peter's problem wasn't that he couldn't walk on water. He could walk on water. We, and as far as I know, I don't know that many other people who have. I don't know anybody who has. But here's, here's the thing. It wasn't that that Jesus was saying. He's saying, what went wrong halfway along? You didn't keep your faith out there. You took your eyes off me and put them on something else. And that's why you started to sink. 
And so when we're in the middle of a storm, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, not take them off him, keep our faith out there, our little tiny faith the size of a mustard seed, and it'll take us to the other side. But you start responding to the waves, it'll drown your, it'll drown your mustard seed. Isn't that good news? You see, the gospel is good news because it's not about how big and tough you are and how great you are. It's about how amazing and how big and tough and how great and how powerful he is. And you don't need a massive amount. You see, it doesn't take a lot to believe in someone who cannot fail. And Jesus will never fail you. He will never let you down. Let's stand. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the revelation that you were giving us. I thank you for the incredible sacrifice of your son. The price he paid so that we could move out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And Lord, I want to be one of those believers that keeps my faith out there, gets my little mustard seed, plants it, and doesn't stop until it's grown. And Lord, I want to trust I want to be one of those who can trust you. And I want to see everyone in this room winning more and more victories. Getting some things to some people, coming expecting, coming hungry, knowing that you're going to do something, God. Not change, not eyes on circumstances, but eyes on. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. And that's why it's simple. Because he ain't ever going to mess it up. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are such an incredible saviour. We bless you. We praise you now. We give you thanks. Let's give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.